Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm in the wrong chair and I'm joined by... The right chair. (laughs) (laughs) Still looking tiny in that big old lazy guy. Yeah, I think I would get sleepy if I sat in this one. I do. Yeah. That's why I'm pounding coffee, tea, Diet Coke, (laughs) nicotine. Hmm. I guess if I just got a new chair, I probably wouldn't need to do any of that. Okay, one time you should try my chair because... It keeps you awake. It has a different feel. Yeah. (laughs) Keeps you alert. (laughs) It does. Uncomfortable and alert. That's right. This has happened embarrassingly, especially with David's new show. I have fallen asleep... Yeah, it happened. It only happened one time. Yeah. I think, unless you kept the other <laughs> one to yourself. One time you couldn't hide it. Your mouth was open. Uh, 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 Not because this show is boring. No, no I just was like, I, I was so just lulled. You're sitting in on those, by the way. You're sitting in. I'm sitting in on those. Also, what I'll do because I'm just sitting in is I fucking put that thing back. I recline it and I kick the legs out. And that's too much comfort that's for me. Much. And part of me, like I'm embarrassed, but then another part of me remembers that John D. Rockefeller fell asleep in meetings all the time. And then I think, oh, maybe I'm achieving greatness by oh, going to sleep. Okay, so you found a loophole. <laughs> exactly. Today we had a, a fucking A was she a blast, huh? Oh my God. Molly I Shannon. enjoyed her so much. This was so fun because I felt like it had all the layers. Mm. It was really funny, but it was vulnerable and emotional. And- yeah, she's incredibly honest, especially on a topic you and I love. Oh yeah. Self-satisfaction. <laughs> so Molly Shannon has a memoir out. It's called Hello Molly and it's fantastic. And she has a, a much more complicated life than I knew. You just meet the comedian. She's so fucking funny. Yeah. You don't maybe go to the notion that she's seen quite a bit of trauma in her life. Yeah. And it was just a, so much fun talking to her. Also, she has a new show out called I Love That For You, which is really fantastic. It's so, so funny. We get into that. So please enjoy Molly Shannon. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah. Easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by Uber Eats. Spring is here and now you can get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry, no. But a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine, no. A box of fine wines, yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets, product availability may vary by region. See app for details. He's an I like your red purse. Thank you. I got it in Italy. Oh, my gosh. 
My best friend is currently in Italy on her honeymoon, and I'm so jealous because she's gonna buy all kinds of good stuff. It's like the that. best for shoes and purses. Yeah. I mean, it's like nowhere else. I just you have to pack an extra bag because it's good leather. Would you describe the leather as sumptuous? Yes, I yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. It's very sumptuous. Buttery. Ooh, buttery mm. and sumptuous. Oh, this is sick. Right? It's like intimate. Yeah, intimate. Yeah. Wait, how great that you get to do this work right in your home. Is that okay that I say that? Oh, God, oh, yeah. Yeah, everyone knows. Everyone knows everything about us. It's like the dream job. It's such a great lifestyle thing. Well, especially if you have children. How old are your kids? My son just turned 17. My son, Nolan, and my daughter, Stella, is 18. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Oh, this is a scary time for you. But I'm so happy for my daughter and my son. I'm excited for them, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But yeah, of course you're like, oh, but I think if you're close to them, you continue to be close. I imagine I'll have those feelings too. Cause I remember how fucking exciting it was when I left and I was like, oh boy, this is me now. I loved that phase. Yeah. So I'll be excited. But then I also imagine I'll be like, hmm, a lot of my life was occupied by talking to them, thinking about them, driving them places, you know. Yeah. I imagine there'll be a pretty significant hole, minimally in my schedule. I'm sure it's like all those feelings of sadness, but then you're happy for them. But I have to say, I'm really enjoying being a mother to teenagers. I really love it. Good, I'm yeah. so glad. There's so many people out there talking shit on teenagers. Like, like we have these beautiful little girls, seven and nine, and almost everywhere we go, everyone's like, just wait. And it's like, okay, hold on. That may happen, but you know, that doesn't have to be the first thing you but say. But they don't want to feel alone. Yeah. Probably well, they're having a bad All blessings time. to them, yeah. but also shut the fuck but up. You don't know what's going to happen. people have that idea, they could almost make it happen. Yeah. And I believe that if you're arguing with your teen, that's a parenting issue. Mm. I like mm. that. How mm. about that, Dax? Really <laughs> How good. How about them apples? I will take a sip of coffee now. <laughs> There's like probably somewhere between three and 400,000 parents of teenagers right now that were like, oh yeah, try these teenagers. <laughs> oh my God. No, no, no. Of course, of course. I mean, I understand. But I, I just agree. think the people that have that attitude kind of go into it thinking it's going to be so... They're people like everyone else. I'm a little maybe wrongly informed by my teen experience with my mom, which was like heavenly. We never fought. I was very respectful to her. I mean, it was helpful. She was super lenient and liberal with me, but we'd go on date night every other Friday and go see a movie. Like I never was a shit to her. That's so nice. I love hearing that. Does your boy like to go places with you? We do more like family dinners. My husband, Fritz, Stella, the four of us. But then, yes, Dax, I took Nolan and his buddies and Stella and her friends, we all went to Hawaii, just me and five oh. teens. Oh my God! Just a few months ago and had the time of oh. our life. Post White Lotus? A post White Lotus. And was everyone like? Yes, because it was in that area. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my God, we had the best time. We would all have dinners at night. Oh. And it was really fun because they can kind of do whatever they want during the day because they're old enough. So it was actually fantastic. Yeah, that sounds like the dream. Because you got dream. to fuck off in the day and get a massage, yes. and cheat on Fritz, Whatever you needed to handle. <laughs> this is terrible. And then meet up for dinner. I wonder if you take a certain joy in pride. I'd say the right kind of pride. You had such a specific childhood, and I feel like I'm similar. Like, I had a very specific childhood. I'm giving my kids, they're going to have problems, don't get me wrong. I'm not naive. But I'm giving them a childhood that I dreamt of. And it feels 
super rewarding and wonderful. And I'm so fucking grateful. I'm present to do it. Do you have that feeling? I do have that feeling because my mom died when I was little. So getting to live way beyond the year she lived and yeah. do all these things that she never got to do, it's really healing. Yes. Let's tell your story because I want to go through like the different ages because I have this all the time. I'm like, oh, I'll be talking to my eight-year-old. I'm like, oh, I was meeting my third dad at her age. Oh, I had already been molested at that age. Wow. I was looking at her. I'm like, that's a little kid. I think my image of myself was always older and bigger than I actually was. And then yeah. when you have kids, you kind of see it. Dax, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were molested. Oh, that's okay. Everyone knows. I'm very open about it. Yeah. I've heard the show a lot, but I didn't know the specifics of that. So was it your mom's boyfriend? It was your dad. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. What? He has to laugh at it. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was a dude that lived down the street. Yeah, it's a very long, convoluted story. Have you seen that documentary Procession? Oh no, what's it's that? Great. Procession. It's about these Catholic priests who were molesting little boys and just getting away with it because they were trusted members of the community. Yeah. And the parents, the moms would drop them off at whatever Father Tom's house. Like, here's a pie, bring it to Father Tom. These boys to get over their trauma reenact these Catholic scenarios with these priests and bishops. It's phenomenal. I must see it. Wow. You must see it. Okay, okay, but we're going to start in 1969. Okay, great. You're four. Oh, actually, it was 1968, I think. But yeah, you're from like a Cleveland suburb. Cleveland, Ohio. I'm from Shaker Heights. And you know I'm from Detroit area. Yeah. So we probably both went to Cedar Point <laughs> and Sandusky. Yes, I love Cedar Point. That's why you're so nice. Midwesterners. Well, and even I would say Cleveland, because Kristen's whole family's from Cleveland. You guys are even nicer than Michiganders. That's so sweet. For sure. Okay, so you're a Midwestern girl. Yes. You're four. I come from three girls. So Katie was the baby sister, and then my sister Mary's two years older. Yeah. So at the time of the accident, Katie was three, I was four years old, and Mary was six. And my sister Katie was killed, and my mother was killed in that car accident, and my cousin Fran, who was in her 20s. And you were in the car. And I you was were in all the car. in the car. Yes, we were all in the car. My dad was driving. Way back of a station wagon. Yes. When I first read the description of your book, Hello, Molly, it says... Your father was driving. He had been drinking. Mm -hmm. And my first thought is like kind of anger, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I understand. And then I'm a recovering alcoholic. So then there's also the realization like, oh, man, but for the grace of God, there go I. Like that story is so easily in my past. And then I read your book and there's a whole third lens to this whole thing. And there's a lot of compassion and there's a lot of understanding. Let's talk about the day. Yeah. That's such a Can Michigan day. Can you remember day. it? That's what's another weird thing is your memory of it is so interesting and so specific at four years old. And my kids don't remember shit from when they were four. So well, trauma it, heightens that. It must, right? Yeah, because I do remember all of that. We were asleep in the back of the station wagon and I remember like sirens and people and my sister was next to me and I felt like scratchy blanket. We were on a stretcher and then they took us into a room and they cut our clothes off and they gave us all these tests like are the lights on, are the lights off? And then I really wanted my mom because I was four so I was wearing training underpants and I wanted to use the restroom and yeah. I was like mommy, mommy and nobody came and I just like gave up and wet myself and felt very despairing. It was crisp memories because all these people, strangers were coming in, giving us all these toys and stuff and nobody would really tell us what was going on. You only have Mary. You guys are in a room yes. together, but dad's out of the picture. My dad wasn't there. My mom, we don't know where they are. My sister Mary is next to me in a bed. She's six. I'm four. She's my big sister. So I figured she'll be like my guidepost. So I'm watching her, but she's just looking out the window and crying, you yeah, know? Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. like, oh no. I thought, 
well, maybe my mom's with my sister in the baby section. She must be with the babies. So I would ask about her, but they wouldn't really answer. So I was waiting many, many days. And then finally I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, because nobody wanted to tell us. At the hospital, there was like a ramp and then double doors. And I was like, I got to go find them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I put on a robe and I got myself dressed and walked up the ramp to go out the doors. And a nurse was like, no, 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 you got to go back to your bed. And then finally, I think shortly after that, an aunt told me that my mother and my sister had gone to heaven. Were you religious? Like, had you already gone to church and stuff? I was only four, so no. It meant nothing to you. It was just more confusing. Like, what? Well, in the book, you say your next thought was like, how do we get there? Can we fly there? Like, how do we visit there? Exactly. Like, I couldn't accept it. And they were kind of trying to package it like it was really good. Like, no, they're in heaven. They're with God and the angels. Depending on the age you are, you would handle the death of a parent differently if you're two versus four versus seven. Sure. So at age four, the only way you can make sense of it would be to blame yourself. So I was like, oh, I must have done something bad to make her leave. And there's no way you could accept death. It's not like I was like, oh, she died and crying. I just went into a fantasy waiting for her to come back. Yeah. like that. Before we even continue, because I've had this experience, I've even had the experience sharing something incredibly personal that we recorded. And then once it was released, something changed. Is it one thing to write about it and then yet another thing to sit and talk about it? Yes. Because you have so much control, right? When you're writing, you pick every word. It'll be exactly as you want it. You're alone. And then now you're here. Mm -hmm. It's pretty interesting. You know what was the hardest, which surprised me, was I'd written it all. People would ask, oh, is it cathartic? And I was kind of like, I process so much of that in therapy. But when I did the audible version of the book in Hollywood, I had to read that chapter and I couldn't breathe. I would have to stop because I would cry so hard, like catch my breath. And I was just meeting this audio guy, Dennis, for the first time. (laughs) And it was so intimate. And I'm in a little booth with my salt and vinegar. It's basically the drama all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're with strangers. Yes. No one knows what to do. Oh my God. Everyone's trying to say the right thing. Yes. I'm Mm. reading it out loud. And I was just like, oh my God, I had no idea. And I also want to say writing that accident chapter was very hard. I really wanted to get it right. My dad stuck to his story till his death. He was like, yes, there had been drinking, but I took a nap. It was like an all-day party. And then we all go to the car. I asked your mom to drive. I asked your cousin. And they said, no, you're fine. You can drive. Because you can see in the book, my mom tells my dad, don't ever drink and drive. So why would she have gone with him? And a group of people go out to the car and say goodbye and wave him off. We're in a different time now. Now there's been awareness. There's mothers against drunk driving. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. That's why I say 1968, because it's really relevant. Even when I read the headline, I read the headline in 2022. And then I had to remember... No, no, in 1969, the cops pulled you over. You were drunk. That was fine. Maybe they drove you home. Maybe they made you take a nap on the side of the road. You had to be fucking wasted for them to care. Yeah. It was a very, very different era. It is relevant. You are so right. My dad never wavered from his story to his death. That is what he said. No, I'd taken a nap. Yes, there had been drinking. And so I chose to believe him. Writing about that, I wanted to be very clear. And people say, was it cathartic? And at first I used to be like, no, no. But then as I continued to work on that chapter before I had to turn the book in, it would make my head spin. It was like doing surgery. It really was very hard. It's been 50 years. And what I did when I was writing that was I, for the first time, was speaking to my cousin and I map quested my cousin's address where the party had been in Mansfield, Ohio, and where the accident was. I never wanted to look at that. I never wanted to think about why is it that now in my mid-50s, I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to map quest it. Yeah. 
And I discovered he had driven for 90 minutes and we were 18 minutes from home. We were almost home. He had almost gotten his family home. My Uncle Hugh, I talk about in the book, my mom's brother, also a recovering alcoholic, head of the plumber's union. He figured he fell asleep at the wheel. I don't want to say drinking didn't contribute to that, of course. I would imagine in writing that, you're kind of walking this very, very thin line, which is like, you must feel loyal to your father and you must love him. Yes. And you must be smart enough to recognize that his story, although maybe doctored in some way, was the one he needed to survive and keep going and raise two girls. Mm -hmm. Because as a parent, I don't know how one proceeds on. Even if he was dead sober and well-rested and he didn't swerve in the right way, I bet the only reason he marched forward is because you two were in the mix. Mm -hmm. So I have to imagine there's a loyalty to your dad's story. And then also the outside voice of, well, people reading this are probably going to go, uh, he probably shouldn't have been driving. I wanted to be fair in laying out the facts of what I know. And then also I wanted to lay it out as much as I know it. Yeah. And also there is this kind of knee-jerk reaction. I think we're a very punitive country, mm -hmm. society, people. We yeah. want justice. The notion that I would need to inflict any other judgment on this person who got the absolute worst consequence yeah. anyone could ever have in life. The amount of suffering surely your father wrestled with is beyond anything anyone can put on him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, brutal. And he wrote a lot about it too. So oh, in the did? research for the book, he would write about all the memories and I really hope Molly and Mary can remember this and we would do this and we do that. And then he wrote about how he felt in the hospital. He wrote all about that. And it was so crazy because his orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Steffi, who had to tell my dad that his wife had been killed and his baby daughter. Oh, Dr. Steffi's wife and three children had just been in a fire. The house burned down. No. He was no. working. Yeah. No. So I discovered that in the writing too. And, and Dr. Steffi said, here's a book that really helped me. Mm. So my dad wrote all about that, how he felt yeah. and that he sunk into the bed and was just like, no, no. And so uh, it's heartbreaking to read that stuff later as an adult. Oh God. Yeah. And you think about what age your father was during all this. He was like your dad, but I'm yeah. sure he's in his late twenties or something. When it happened, he was probably like 33 maybe. Oh, he was. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Still, 33. Yeah. A year younger than Monica. Yeah. That's bonkers. Okay, so the thing I like related so much to you is, so my dad, they got divorced at three. I was probably four. My dad was now single. He's an alcoholic. He crashed his truck into a huge oak tree, going 80 miles an hour, passed out, go to the hospital. They wanted to amputate his legs. They were so that crushed. That's my dad. Yes. And my mother sat there and rubbed his legs to try to keep the circulation going. We were brought in. Like, no one knows what to do, right? So they should have told you. That was a mistake. But now letting you go see dad, who knows? Maybe that was a mistake. For me, I walked in. It's like, here's a human, you know, unrecognizable, tape all over the head. Yeah. A fucking head's the size of a basketball. It's a real dose of mortality when you're that age, right? I relate so deeply because it's the same thing. It's scary. Yeah, it's, it's frightening. scary. Because how old were you, Dad? Four. Same age as me. Exactly. They were like, should we bring the girls? Shouldn't we bring the girls mm. to see Jim because he's alive? Yes. And they knew we were asking where our parents are. They made the decision, the adults, let's go bring the girls to see Jim. So we go in. He's intubated in his oh, throat, wow. oh you know? Yeah. So he has a hole in his oh. throat. His leg are hanging up in chains. Oh my God. And then he got really emotional seeing us I'm and he sure. was like, <gasps> and oh. he couldn't breathe. So then he pulled, you know, the wires oh. got, and he tried to stick his thumb in his throat so he could, because he was so emotional seeing that we were alive yeah, and yeah. it was frightening. 
you know? I got to do that a second time when I was 13. My dad crashed again. I come to the hospital. We don't think he's going to make it another few hours. Head on collision, the whole thing. I go in there, and because he kept trying to pull out his breathing tube, they had him chained to the bed. And he doesn't know what's happening. And I go in the room, and he comes to, and he's looking at me, and he's crying, and he's doing his hands to try to tell me, get this thing out of my throat. And I'm 13, and I'm going, Dad, I can't. If I take that out of your throat, you're going to die. Yeah, like, you feel like you could kill him. Yeah. <laughs> it's just me and him in there, and he's, like, begging me to pull this thing out of his throat. Oh, my oh, yeah, God. Yeah, that yeah. is yeah, these so moments, scary. These moments. Okay. Okay. Did he get sober? Was he continuing to drink? No, he got sober. He was probably a year sober when he had the head-on collision. But he did. He got sober and he died sober. Oh, that's great. Did your dad have a drinking problem? Oh, my dad was an alcoholic. He was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Full-fledged. Yeah. Did he ever get sober? Uh, he did. What age? Maybe when I was like 14 oh my God, or so. same exact age, yeah. He started going to Catholic retreats and really working his AA program. Yeah. And he would read his one day at a time every day and have little aphorisms like, listen and pay attention and think of the good things people have done and all these little sweet things. That book meant the most to me when he died. That's all I wanted was that one day at a time book. And he worked really hard at it. I have all my dad's chips. Oh, isn't that the best? It is. And then my dad would help other people get sober. I write about the deli man in the book who worked at Sands Deli, and my dad helped him get sober. And yeah, he was big into AA for years. And he would have slips sometimes, sure, you sure, know, sure, but sure. I was so happy when he did. Okay, so I can see it in you so obviously. And I read your book, and it's like, all right, well, that event's going to put you on a course. You're now on a trajectory. You're in a very unique trajectory. Mom's gone. Your sister, who you loved and were close with, died. Your whole life is different now your worldview has just changed people you love can disappear and it seems like your imagination at that point really steps in to comfort you Yes. My dad was recuperating in the hospital. So my dad comes from a big family. He was the youngest of 10. And so all these aunts were saying, who's going to take the girls? They were all offering to take us. My mom's brother, Uncle Hugh, wanted to take us. He had five kids. So we ended up going to live with my Aunt Bernie, whose daughter, Fran, was killed in our accident. And Bernie had a son, too, who was still alive. But anyhow, Bernadette took us to her house while my dad was still in the hospital. So I went to kindergarten in her neighborhood. And I remember, like, going to this kindergarten and people... People were like singing, the wheels on the bus go round and round. I felt like I'd been through a war. No, the wheels on the bus sometimes fall the fuck off. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And the kids <laughs> scatter out the windows. That's what happens on the bus, y'all. That's so funny. <laughs> it on fire. Yeah, it's a big ball of fire. Yeah, yeah. So I was like very... You had to be disassociated. And the Teachers don't know what's going on. They have no idea. But anyhow, there were these boys that were painting all black. So I was like, whatever, I'll just imitate what they're doing. And she was like, that's not how you do it. So then she made me sit with all those boys. And I was like, whatever, I'll just sit with these bad boys. I don't care, whatever. I don't want her to understand me and I don't care. But then I tripped and fell in kindergarten. I like hit a nail and I fell near the coat closet and I just wailed crying and I just let it all out finally because I've been holding it together. You finally had an excuse. Yeah, yeah. To not be quote weak. On the way to school, I took a bus and I was grieving my sister and my mom. So I was in a dark mood. One day when we were waiting for the bus, these kids, I said, oh, the bus already left. And they were like, it did? And I said, yeah. And they believed me. And then they just started walking to school. And then the bus came and I had it all to myself. And we drove past them and I waved to them. It lifted the darkness. It was like a little like trick where I was like, so funny. I can't believe they believe me. Have you drilled into what exactly was appealing about that? 
Well, it was mischievous. I think I was like, oh, I can't believe I have the authority over these children. And control. Yeah, for me, I felt incredibly powerless in a lot of the chaos I was in. Oh, that's so interesting. And so when I would get to school, it manifests itself regrettably in sometimes being a bully a little bit. Like I was big and my brother was always kicking my ass. And so I loved fighting on the playground because I had some control over that and I could win. And then I also liked outsmarting people. Yeah. The teacher was in control, but I could make a joke that would make them lose control. I needed some little steering wheel, some sector of my life I needed to go in the direction I wanted it to go. When I read the school bus thing, I thought, I wonder if the feeling was like, oh, I'm not powerful in this whole opera I find myself in. It lifted my spirit, so it wasn't a very nice thing to do, but it did give but me fuck relief. fuck them. They probably had moms and dads, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah fuck them. Like they're mommies. <laughs> okay, so everyone who listens to this show knows intimately best friend Aaron Weekly. Like, he changed my life. I met this kid when I was 12, and he really, really gave me permission to be me, and he gave me confidence, and I was able to be vulnerable around him, and he just literally saved my whole life. It changed my whole life meeting this person. So you met Anne. Yes. Anne, I met when I was four, right after the accident. And my dad said, oh, she was like a replacement for Katie. Sure. Anne had a crossed eye, a lazy eye. So she wore eye patch with glasses. So Mary Catherine Gallagher, the look is based on Anne. Anne was very kind, very motherly, even though she was two years younger. Yeah, she really understood me. And Wait, how'd you meet her? uh, My dad was friends with her mom, Jolene Ramped, and Anne parents were going through a hard time and so we just really connected and she went to the same Catholic school St. Dominic's. Yeah, she was just very special to me and when my dad would lose his temper, Anne was always there for me. I'd be like, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him. And she would just sit and listen to me. Just very loving. Yeah. And she was also like Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Like we watched like a Robert Altman movie. Nashville. Black Nashville. And Anne was like, I could picture you doing that, like being in the movies. I was like, you could? And she was like, yeah. So it was like two little kids. (laughs) Yeah. Like doing that, like with a Southern accent. You know, so it was so sweet. And then she wanted to be a country singer. So she would practice her singing for me, but she didn't want me to look at her. So I was like, do it. So she'd do it in the living room and she'd be like, turn your back. And I would just listen. And I was like, it sounds good. So it's like, I mean, you only need one or two of those in your life. Literally. Yeah, yeah. I watch my children now and I'm like, who's it going to be? Like, who are they going to bond with? Because it can be life changing, right? Yeah, you have like friends and then you have soulmates. It's really special. And you build each other up and you believe in each other and you see things in each other. Oh. Yeah, and because she knows the childhood and knew my dad so well and this and that, you're forever connected. So even if you lose touch, you have this instant trust and comfort. And I have to say, it's so sweet. I'm still close to Allison, who's in the book, and Anne, and they're so excited about the book and they love it. And it's so fun, like involving them. And Allison, for example, my friend was so smart in school. She would just whip through Animal Farm. She could analyze the best literature. She was like a speed reader. So just involving her in the book, that part has been so fun. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're like, this is why I do oh it. Oh my this God, is why it's you the get to best. Yeah, yeah. 
If you went to a Catholic school, what was your dynamic with boys? Like your first crush was a priest. Oh yeah, he was an Irish guy. I think a lot of people were like, oh, don't talk about the accident. That'll make them cry. Don't bring that up. Yeah. You know, but Father Murray was a priest at St. Dominic. So after we left my aunt's house, we went back to my original childhood house. And I think I thought my mom would be there or something. I was in some fantasy, but she wasn't there. But anyhow, Father Murray, when we went to church, knelt down when I was probably five. He just directly addressed the loss. And he said, now, Molly, I know you lost your mother. You lost your sister. This is just heartbreaking for you. And he held my hands and looked deep in my eyes. And I so wanted someone to see and understand yes. the yeah. deep, sad well. Stop ignoring inside. this thing that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. Yes, I did have a crush on him. I mean, like an innocent little girl sure, crush. Sure, sure, but sure, I sure. thought... Oh, I love him. He understands me in a deep way. So I just appreciated it. But you were doing fun role-playing shit and stuff. That was in the book. <laughs> Masturbation. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh, like, to the priest. I make her so polite. <laughs> but I love it. But it's young. And I wondered too, like anything you could soothe with, I would imagine at that point had to be incredibly appealing. Yes. Yeah. Well, masturbation, it's an interesting thing because I think that it's natural and positive and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm actually reading a really good book where this woman talks about it. It's called Come As You Are. And she speaks about masturbation, how healthy it is and people's different reactions and yeah, yeah. a shame-based reaction to a young girl masturbating could stay with a woman forever. And then they might associate that guilt and shame or like you're bad or dirty with sex yes, for life or something. So anyhow, it's a great book. I think it's it's an interesting thing because I think some people could see that and be like, oh, disgusted. And then the person is associating desire or a kind of natural thing with shame. Right. right? Oh, totally. And totally. being Catholic, I could oh, certainly relate whammy, to that. Yeah. Or you could be like, okay, put on your shoes. We're getting ready to go out because I know some people like that. And not every girl does that or boy, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah and it yeah. felt fun and natural. So right after the accident, yes, I was downstairs in her basement masturbating and I would make up scenarios like I would have in my head like there was a really mean gym teacher who yeah. was like, get down on the floor, you fuck piece of shit. <laughs> you fat hog. No wonder your mother died. Get down on the floor, fatty, and do push-ups. Oh, no. What a mean guy. I would stuff clothes in my pants and just because I didn't want to be too close to my actual <laughs> and I would tie myself up to a chair too. Right. So that I couldn't get out of the chair and I would grind. <laughs> we need a visual. We do, we do. And I got it. She'd be like, You fat piece of shit. You know? This is so wild. Yeah, it's like BDSM. It is. <laughs> My aunt saw this and she was horrified. She must have thought you were like needed a um exorcism. <laughs> she saw me tied up and she just pretended she'd never see it. She opened the door, had a horrified look, and then closed the door. Oh my God. Were you like No, I continued to joyfully yeah. But you weren't embarrassed by the role play part. No. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I'm so impressed that your brain could even like do that. My friend Allison and I talk about it because she was the first girl I talked about it with at Catholic grade school. Yeah. She was like, I do that. And I was like, I do it too. And then she used to call it Mr. Meanie. Oh. <laughs> she had the same oh role play. Mr. Meanie. Oh my God. <laughs> this must this be a Catholic. A ca yeah. yeah. This is a Catholic. It was bad. Were you trying to like press Fast forward on childhood, like, did you really want to get to adulthood fast? 
No, I didn't want to grow up fast. I like being you did. young. Yeah, because it yeah. feels like. Well, I guess every kid pretended to be an adult. Yeah, yeah. Like every little kid already has a baby. That's what they're pretending. Yeah. Like, it reminds me of one time in, when I was in the Groundlings. We were all getting drunk one night, and we were kind of sharing stories, like when you've hooked up with other children when you were a child, basically, and male on male, female on female, whatever. And I got to this friend of ours, and she said, "Um, well, I don't know." She had a really interesting voice. I don't know if this is sexual, but um, I did used to play this game with my friend Becky where I would drag plywood across her back and she would drag it across mine and give each other splinters. And I was like, thank you so much for that. Oh my God. We are so interesting. Yeah. And we don't even talk about the most interesting part of us because everyone in that room had some bizarre shit they did when they were kids that was sexual. And we just don't even talk about it. And I was like, they were doing some very interesting stuff with lumber <laughs> and splinters. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and the sky is the limit. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's it wild. Is, yeah, I love it. So wild. I just feel comforted when I hear other people like all these weird perverse things yeah. they did. Because I'm like, oh, good. I'm just a normal person who was all fucking weird yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. exactly and not weird okay that was so fun i really really applaud your honesty really thank you yes i love it i used to think dudes doing backflips on motorcycles was the most brave thing you could do and then i heard this dude jason ellis i'd love to give him continued credit he was on howard stern he was talking about being molested by his father for most of his childhood and the way he spoke about it and the honesty and the complexity and still loving his father And then I got to meet him and I told him, this is the bravest thing I've ever witnessed. Like, I'm in awe of your fucking bravery. I super admire that about you. And it's wonderful. And I think it's encouraging. That's so sweet. And helpful. Totally. Yeah. Because Monica is a pervert. She wanted boys to puke on her when she was a little kid. That was her fantasy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. She wanted them to get sick. Well, it was like a nurturing fantasy. But it was sexual. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, it's very odd. To throw up on you? <laughs> Interesting. So you could take care of Yes, them? there's like there's a lot of like taking care of <laughs> in the middle of <laughs> That's hot fascinating. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know it's weird. And like I was little. It was like kids in my daycare is when it first started. That's where we're all very original and yes. interesting. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. It's endlessly fascinating. Yeah. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Are there some fantastic concerts coming to your city this summer? Mine too. In fact, Anderson Pack's playing at the Hollywood Bowl. I can't wait for it. Ooh, that's exciting. If you want to be sure to see your favorite artist, you need to jump on it right away. I've already DM'd him saying, yes, I got to be in that front row. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Got your eye on a rock star candidate? ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. Once you review ZipRecruiter's list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. 
Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were some... not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be Rob specific. and I received some texts this Yeah, I was locked morning. out of my therapy setting, which is this attic. <laughs> But then you felt much better after. I felt much better. And I even made some apologies. Um, Talking things out can be so helpful. And if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. Okay, we're going to kind of fast forward. You go to NYU. Yes, went to NYU. You're a graduate of Tisch. My wife didn't make it through. No, she left to work. She got way too successful. I love to make fun of her and say she didn't make it through college. But I know logically and timeline-wise, obviously you graduate, you come to LA, you're getting on shows, you're in a movie, and then you end up on Living Color. Where was the comedy in that? So I went to NYU Drama School, and then I did Mary Catherine Gallagher in this stage show I developed. I was working full-time at a health club when I was going to NYU to help pay my rent and stuff. Finally, I was like, I should take advantage of NYU. So the last year I auditioned for this show called The Follies, it was where you kind of make fun of the teachers and we did it in a black box theater. Madeline Olnick and David Weinsack wrote it. Basically, she had us do an exercise for the rehearsal. Adam Sandler was in that show too. He was in my grade at NYU. Wow, so he here. was in the show. And Madeline had us do an exercise while we were rehearsing where you come through the door and just make up a character. She played a really snotty director and her thing was, you have to try to get the job and try to impress me. And she was like, don't overthink it just make up a character and I went in hi I'm Mary Catherine Gallagher and she would be very unimpressed and I would have to do more things and the character developed from that exercise they ended up writing the whole show around that character so wow. I really developed that character at NYU but at the time the character wore red pants and she was like a murderer she sniffed her armpits and no she didn't sniff her armpits oh, yet that came then later. Okay. <laughs> I considered myself a very dramatic actress but the show was a huge hit there were lines around the block oh. and then people would come up to me and they go you should be on 
Saturday Night Live. Right. And I was like, wow, really? You were going to be in Nashville. I was going to be in Nashville with Robert Altman. Yeah. <laughs> so then I decided, okay, maybe I'll try this comedy thing. So my friend Eugene Pack and I gave New York City a year, and I only got like under fives on soap operas. And then we both went out to LA, and I rented a wreck. I had no money, and I did jobs. You're working at telemarketing. Yeah, to giving out food demos, temping at different agencies. And Gene and I decided we'd both develop our own shows. So I started taking classes at Second City, not formally. They just came down for a little while in Santa Monica. And I met a guy named Rob Muir there. And I'm not like a Second City person at all. Right. I don't know how to do space work or anything. Okay. <laughs> no. We could teach you in 30 seconds. You know that? I was in the groundling, so we had to do oh, all that. you had to do all that. That's so hard. It's one of the five ways to add information to a scene. Okay, good. Good to know. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I always had a backpack, by the way. Oh, you did? If you walk in with like, a backpack and you set it down, as soon as the scene is hitting the skids, walk over to that backpack, unzip it, and pull something out. Oh, my oh, God. And now we've got a second gear. Common also is sweeping and mopping. Yes, but that's to That's a go-to. That's not going to get you anywhere. You got a backpack, anything can come out of the backpack. Wow, that is a hack. I love that. It's like <laughs> Fortnite, where you can like pull things out. Sure, right? yeah. We did that show, come out to LA, and then meet Rob Muir in the comedy class. Rob and I decided to get a little comedy group together and improvise and write a show. So we would meet the little group of us at my dumpy apartment in Hollywood, across from the El Pollo Loco on the corner of Fountain and Vine. <laughs> and we just started putting a show together. We called ourselves the Lumber Company and we would just do Good sketches name. and this and that. And I did Mary Catherine Gallagher in that show. So continue to develop in front of an audience. And I got singled out in reviews. And then at some point, Rob was like, you and I should just do a show. And Rob really wanted me to take center stage because he was more a writer. So yeah. he really helped me with that. So we created this thing called the Rob and Molly Show. And I did that for years in LA. While I was auditioning. You got an In Living Color. Yeah, I got an In Living Color. That was really fun when Jim Carrey was there yeah. and the Wayans and Allie Wentworth was on the show then. And that was really cool. J-Lo was dancing behind you. She wasn't there when I was there. I was there more toward the end. So I don't think she was there. But okay. yeah, isn't that crazy? She was a dancer. At one point. Yeah, yeah, I just did a very small part. But I was like in a scene with Jim Carrey when he played a cop. It was great to watch all these big comedians performing. But yeah, I just continued to develop my stage show. And then how do you get the audition? SNL had actually come around five years before that when I was doing the stage show. And they asked for a tape and I gave them a tape of characters that I used all my waitressing money sure. and I made up all these characters. And I remember calling my agent to find out if I was going to get to audition. And I called him on the payphone outside of my <laughs> right, apartment right. on the corner of Fountain and Vine across from the El Pollo Loco. <laughs> and he was like, sorry, Lauren, passed. And I cried. Oh. And then I just thought, you know what? Look, if they ever come back again, I'm going to work really hard on my characters. I'm going to develop an arsenal of characters so that if they come back again. Again, I'm going to be locked and loaded and ready. And so for the next five years, I continue doing that stage show and writing and developing and honing those characters. Yeah. Sally O'Malley, Mary Catherine Gallagher. Tony Bennett, Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah. But no, we would do these 50-minute shows and I would invite everybody that came to my restaurants. you got to come see my show. Come see my show. Come see my show. And I would take names and phone numbers. It was before email from me. And I would just cold call everyone when I did a show. I'd make like 500 calls you. to get 200 wow. people to come. And I would sometimes forget who they were, but I would take notes like met Maureen at a restaurant her boyfriend, Joseph, is a lawyer. And then they come back there and be like, Maureen, how's Joseph? 
Yeah. I, you know, made sure. So Cleveland of you. And my goal was just one business person per show. And I would pay for the band with my waitressing money. And I would invite people who couldn't afford it because I was really into creative visualization. And I figured the money's going to come back to me someday. Oh my gosh. I did that show for years. And SNL came back around five years later. And Marcy Klein was in charge. And she came to see my show. But actually, a year before that, I'd kind of given up because I felt like I was getting rejected trying out for these TV shows as Mm -hmm. the best friend and not really landing apart, having a hard time. And so I just was like, I don't know if I can take this anymore. And it's so funny because years later when I got SNL, I remember casting director saying like, oh, you've grown so much. You develop, you know, you weren't that way before. And I'm thinking I was the same person. I have cachet now. Now you see me differently. Exactly. It's like Mike White on The White Lotus. I won't say who this is, but there was somebody who was like, oh yeah, we saw Murray Bartlett years ago and maybe didn't see. And I'm like, I'm sure he was the same performer. That's yeah. not Mike doesn't give a shit. He, exactly. he just does what he wants, casts who he wants. Lauren Michaels is like that too. Yeah. He doesn't care. He has his own separate world, separate from Hollywood. He does his own thing. So that was a also bubble. really refreshing. Yeah. He's very punk rock. You forget how punk rock SNL was in the 70s. Yes. And the drugs and the bands. It was everything. Yeah, everything. He's become an older man who's rich, but yeah, he's punk rock to the core. Yeah, he really is. Okay, so you'd given up, but now somehow you end up on SNL. What happens? Well, it turned out that there was a woman who had kind of called herself the town scout, and I could never kind of get through to her. She was more interested in male comedians than women. And I thought, God, she's missing all these great girls. This is like a problem. So, of course, a year into that, just relaxing and having coffee with friends and not holding on so tight. And I think I was waiting tables, but had some money. I did national commercials, so I had some money from that, but I probably still worked in restaurants. Then... Marcy's like, Lauren's looking for people. I'm coming to town. So I put a show together for her. I hadn't done a show for a year. Oh. Called Rob, please, could you do another show? It's all you have to do is show up. I'll invite everybody. I'll get the band, just show up. I'll call Gail with the boyfriend. <laughs> and he was like, okay, okay. So we did a show and it was great. And Marcy was like, you're coming to New York to audition for SNL. She took me to the Ivy after. Oh. And I was like, I can't believe it. And she really helped me. It almost doesn't ever get better than that moment right there, does it? No. You're like, oh my God, it might happen. Like my thing was I was auditioning for 10 years and then Ashton Kutcher somehow recognized in an audition that I was good. Yeah. He was like, I'm picking you up. We're going to the basketball game. I'm like, I'm going to the basketball what? game with Ashton That's Kutcher. That's so cool. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. I love Ashton. And it's just like that moment you start going, oh my God, maybe it can. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. All of a sudden it feels magical. I brought my friend Mike Palermo to the Ivy. He's a really good friend of mine from Cleveland and he and his sister Deborah Palermo are really supportive of me. So I was like, Mike, we're at the Ivy with Marcy Klein. Yes, and yes. Marcy was just so great and she was really helpful. So for my audition, she was like, call me if you have any questions. And I was like, what do you need? She's like, you know, we need an impression. And I was like, can I fly my partner? And she was like, sure, fly your partner. I was like, can I bring wigs? Sure, bring wigs. So they they fly a bunch of girls on a plane to New York City all at the same time. So all the girls auditioning were all on the same flight. Oy. And it was definitely Ooh. like, ah. Any huge stars out of that group that we um, would know? No. Okay. No. That would be fun, though, if you were yeah, like Reese Witherspoon. Oh, a 15-year-old God. Reese Witherspoon. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? They put us up at a comedy club called Stand Up New York. And they give you five minutes. And you wait in the hallway in this little brick dark hallway. And you wait till it's your turn to go on. And in the audience is Lauren Michaels. Chris Farley came to my audition. Jim 
Jim Downey. I think you have to do five characters, like a character a minute or something. And in the back, it was definitely like, you brought wigs? I didn't know we could bring wigs. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was like, call Marcy. I just called and asked her. They want to help. People panicking. <laughs> yeah. So my friend Andrew Schaefer just walked me around the block. He's like, don't pay attention to any of that kid. Rob Muir walked me around the block. He was like, I think your life's going to change. And I was like, I don't know. I was just so excited to be there. They put us up at the Paramount Hotel. So to me, I was like, I'm at the Paramount Hotel. Like I'm from Cleveland. This is so cool yes. that I got flown to New York City to audition for <laughs> Saturday Night Live. I could just freeze myself there. Yeah. But so I did my characters and I remember like the audience expected stand-up. So I think that audience that comes into that club was confused. Like, who are these girls Because oh, they have a real characters? audience there. Real audience oh, that that's thinks cool. they're seeing stand-up. So they are not an no. easy laugh. Yeah, yeah. And we're doing characters. So I did one character and I remember like, oh God, I'm bombing. And then I turned around to put on the next character's glasses. And I remember just thinking, <laughs> just commit, be a good actress, hold it together. For some reason, I had a feeling Lauren would be into good acting. And so yeah. I just really committed and I was so green that I did a real impression of a real person who was an agent that he knew. And they thought it was so funny that I used her real name and they knew her (laughs) and they loved it. Where did Catherine Gallagher end up? Because you got to think about when you're going to place her. Oh, yeah. Actually, for that audition, the woman who was the unofficial talent scout, who was the woman that was more into the boys, she told me when she got wind that I was auditioning, she was like, well, yeah, I heard you got an audition, but whatever you do, don't do that dirty little character, Mary Catherine Gallagher, because Lauren will hate it and you'll never get hired. No. Oh, my God. The worst advice. I won't say her name because that's mean, but that's what she told me. Wow. Yeah. So you didn't put her in the audition? No, I did not. That's kind of cool, though, that you still have your ace card. They don't even know. Yeah, they didn't even know. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Incredible run at Saturday Night Live. I wouldn't have known this until researching you, but when you left after six years, you were the longest running female cast member. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not now, though, because now there's so many people. You left in 2001. 2001. Yeah. Yeah. I did six seasons. Why did you leave? I left because I loved it so much. I had such a good time there. It was so fun, but I really just wanted more of a personal life. I had met my husband at that time. We were just dating. So I wanted to really just go out for coffee with friends. I wasn't leaving to go anywhere. I had been working so hard trying to achieve and make it that I actually just wanted to enjoy living in New York City and seeing friends and dating my husband and I wanted time with my dad. I wasn't leaving to do anything. How did you fit into the party atmosphere at SNL? Oh, that was really fun. I think that like real partying was kind of years ago. Our group was very just like normal. Like we would stay out late for the parties and stuff, but it was nothing was too wild or anything. Okay. And now I'm going to touch on Two of my favorite things you've done. They're not the biggest things you've done, so happiness. Oh my God. Todd Solondz. Have you ever seen that movie, Monica? It's incredible. And your character is so fucking good. Everyone in the movie is so specific. Like everyone that comes on, you're like, oh my God, I know eight people just like that. I just love that movie, the tone of it. Everyone in it is so spectacular. Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it and it's Mm. incredible. I went to college with him too. He was also in my class at NYU. Yeah, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. We have to pause there. I always wonder this. Did you think at the time I'm like, these are stars. Or are you like, there's something really, really... X-Factory? Yes, yes. I thought that about both of them. Well, Adam Sandler was doing all this stand-up during school. He was like the one kid that at night was working on his act, working on his stand-up. He was a star on campus Mm. from the second he started school. Mm. He would do stand-up in the dorms, and it was like, Adam! I mean, people (laughs) He was a rock star. He was a rock star. Young, knew what he wanted, driven, 
nice to everyone, fantastic. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman, yes, brilliant actor, so sweet. Yes, you could tell. I went to theater school as well, and it's like, you know, there's people, and you're like, God, they're special, they're special. And then 99.9% of the time, those people don't end up having it as a career so it's amazing to be in this class where people did monica where did you go to drama school i went to university of georgia not that exciting don't you mitigate that but i just i was in the theater program there and then she was at ucb and then i did ucb here a lot of ucb and that's the similar thing too where you're in shows with people and you're like i think they're the one that's gonna really skyrocket out of here and then sometimes they don't people don't know what a hustle it is it's i know and i just remember auditioning like opposite groundlings girls and stuff for Seinfeld or whatever. You would have your just regular audition and then if they're bringing you to the producers, if you made it to the next, they would ask you to stay. They'd bring you in at three and producers are coming at five. And then you go in and audition and they're like, thanks, Molly. And then you know you don't have to stay. Go meet producers and everybody sees you on your way out just leaving and they're like, good luck, everybody. And I just remember leaving once finally for like the hundredth time and just, I went to my car and I saw this wonderful woman, Catherine Lanasa, who's so lovely and an actress and just an old friend. She was like doing plies by her car, like really relaxed. I think she had just auditioned too and she was just, just having fun and like exercising because she's an ex-dancer. Yeah. And I was like, I wish I could be like Catherine, but I felt a dark curtain coming over me. And I was like, I think I'm just going to go to Gelson's and get a half a chicken and close the shades when I get home. And that's when I was like, I don't think I can take this anymore. This hurts my heart. This is so fucking hard. It's brutal. It's kind of masochistic. My whole thing is I would get in my Honda Civic and I would shut the door. And as soon as I shut the door, I'd go, out there, it's Monday. In here, it's Friday. And I'd do it exactly how I had hoped to do it in the TGI of Friday commercial, but I couldn't do it in the room. And I'd shut my door and I'd do it and I'd go, fuck, why can't you fucking do that? Fucking start my car. That is so funny. I can't tell you how many times I redid the audition in my Honda Civic. You know what I did once? I thought, well, maybe I could stand out if my voice is scratchy. Like Demi Moore in St. Elmo's Fire. So I would, before the audition, in my car, scream in front of my lungs. So that when I went in, it sounded like, hey, you got, and it was like, ooh, two horse. You guys have an ashtray in here. She's sick. We definitely can't hire her. She has a scrap throat. Holy smokes. What a grind. Okay. And then great career working nonstop. But just when I thought I had seen every side of you, and it couldn't have come in a more delightful way. It's 2018. We always sleep at our friends, the Hanson's house. There's a big sleepover. No one knows what they're doing on New Year's Day. Come downstairs. Someone has found you and Will commentary on the yeah. Rose Day Parade. Aww. I mean, that is one of the most spectacular comedy things that's ever been done. The joy of having no idea this thing was being done, no expectation. We stumbled upon it and we were all just like, how is this happening? What a genius idea. Oh my God, they're so good together. It's long. Yeah, that was Will's idea. It's ours, right? Uh, Yes. Oh my God. It's so early in the morning. And Will is such a great friend of mine. We've been friends for years and getting to see him become a father and I'm a mother. It's just so great. But anyhow, you have to wake up. It feels like it's like two. 2 a.m. to get there for the morning. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, always sure. panicked if I don't sleep enough and then you have to perform yeah, on live yes. television and improvise. And yeah. it's terrifying, but Will is just so great to perform with. And we'll just do stuff like he'll squeeze my leg or we'll give one of their hints like, okay, no, I got this, I got this. Yeah, so yeah, it's like yeah, having yeah. the greatest partner. But we flew to London too to cover no, the I royal know. wedding. <laughs> but I gotta ask though, because I want to remember their names. I know it's Cork and what is it? Oh yeah, Cord and Tish. Cord and Corn and Tish. Right out of the gates, just the name. My character's name's Tish Cadigan. (laughs) 
And he, he's cord hosing back. He loves dogs, basset hounds. Hates horses. He's terrified oh, hates of horses. horses. And my character hates ticks. Yes, oh, yes, sure. yes. Tish Cadigan, do not get her near ticks. She doesn't like it. Don't make me sing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my God. It's so funny. And then, like, what a present. Totally unexpected. You just love it. And then you think, like, I want to see them do more. So it's such an obscure idea. Yeah. You had to have zero expectations of it. It's also like it was on Hulu or something. Yeah, it was on Amazon at oh, yeah. first. The fans were like, who are these people? They're terrible. They're talking That's over the, the parade. It was like 50-50. They didn't and know. And Will was like, yay, this is perfect. Yes. He loved it. They were mad. These people are so selfish. They're talking over the folks oh. and ruining the parade. No, it was a joy. And we had the best time. Oh, my God. When the reaction was huge, like it became something much bigger, enough to justify you guys going to do the royal wedding. Yes! Yeah, were you just like, wait, what? Yes, are you kidding? And I was really interested in the royal wedding, so it was so fun to cover. And Kristen Wiig was there, yeah, yeah, and yeah. she came and played a little sassy gentleman who has a crush on Tish. <laughs> that was so cute. She had oh, a little mustache amazing. and a cap, and her face was so cute and little. I love that when oh like almost God. like a prank or a bit turns into, now you're actually at the royal wedding with like real media outlets and people around around the world are watching this. It's just very funny. But it's hard too, because you're covering a live event. There's a lot of improv. So it's like a real, it's like high level gymnastics. Yeah, when it's over, I'm sure you'd go to your hotel and crash. Yeah, we all went out for dinner after. We barely slept and Will's so great that way because I worry about sleep and performing. Like I always like to get a good sleep. Sure. But Will's like my role model that way because I'm like, aren't you worried? Like we basically, we're not even gonna go to sleep or we're gonna have to get up and perform. And he's like, nah, just take a nap later. He doesn't care about that. He has quite a disposition. It's such a good attitude. Well, when we interviewed him, he's such an enigma because like, of course you have the childhood you have. That makes sense. Most comedians I know yeah, are fucked up. Exactly. But Will's like very likable, an athlete in a fraternity, yeah. always likable, drinks responsibly. He's a total enigma. He's a little bit AI. Little AI. Yeah. The comedy's coming from joy and playfulness and not like sorrow and control and all the reasons yeah. I pursued it. <laughs> oh my gosh. So true. Okay. And then I just got to say, uh, and we already talked about well, it, we but gotta, White yeah. Lotus. I mean, what a show. Oh. Another thing that kind of came out of nowhere. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I hadn't heard about it prior. I happened to see like an advertisement for it and there's a tone immediately you pick up on mm-hmm. just from the advertisements where you're like, I'm intrigued by this yeah oh mike white i trust him all these actors i trust but what a fucking show best show of last year well we had the best time because we shot it at the four seasons in maui and it was during quarantine and so only the crew and the actors were at the hotel we had the entire hotel to ourselves what a blast. Uh, and you're in a bubble we're in a bubble my kids stella and nolan were with me because they were doing remote school at the time so oh. they would just get to do school like on the beach and it was the greatest acting experience because it was all right there. So yes. I would do a fitting, just go down to the lobby. I would wake up and go, I'm going to go shoot a scene down in Ferraro's, down in the restaurant. And Stella and Nolan would go snorkel. Then they'd walk back and they'd be like, hi, Mike. Hi, mommy. It was all right there. It was a dream job for a mother. It was life-changing. And then every night, dinners with Jennifer oh. Coolidge, Dave oh. Bernard, oh. Connie Britton. Uh, Sydney Sweeney, it was a dream. We would swim and talk. All the actors would go at sunset and swim. Oh, 
Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. I want to do that. We would swim in the ocean and just swim back and forth and talk. Oh, my God. Just for like an hour. It was the best. You guys are going to do a season two. Mike, right now, he's in Sicily shooting season two. It's all new cast. Jennifer Coolidge is the only one returning, and it will be new cultural differences, like Americans visiting Italy. Okay. But he can really do whatever he wants with it if he wants to do it again. But I want to, I mean. I know, we want to see all these people again. For people who have not seen it, which you must see it immediately, you come to your son's honeymoon. Yes, my character shows up on her son's honeymoon. And you're so condescending to that poor bride of his. Wasn't she so good? Oh uh, and my God. Jake Lacey was so good, who played yes. my son. He was incredible. Yes, I surprised my son on his honeymoon. I'm a doting mother. And I oh. ask my daughter-in-law, I can't believe she's a writer. And I'm like, why would you want to work? That yes. makes no sense. Yes. She's just in her own bubble. You're trying to train her on how to be rich. But it's all real. That's why every character, you're like, I know. I know her, I know him. It feels arch, but it's very real. A couple I know, and they became friends with the guy who worked at the Four Seasons, and they took him out for a drink, and they asked him, what's the most outrageous thing a guest has ever asked you? Yeah. And he said that there was a couple that called down to the front desk, and they were like, can you please do something? The moon is too bright. It's glaring into our room. (laughs) Oh, my God. Isn't that funny? Uh, Oh, my God. We had a really funny experience at that hotel long time ago Kristen gets basically a call from her I don't know publicist maybe says do you want to come to the Maui Film Festival Uh, all you have to do is go eat chocolate at this thing it's sponsored by Godiva and then you'll get four nights at that place really Uh. nice room blah 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 and she hangs out I'm like let me get this straight your work you have to do at some point is go eat chocolate This is insane. Let's go. We went. Weirdly enough, Pratt was there with Anna, and we hung with them. We're like, what is this? Everyone's got to eat chocolate at some point. doesn't matter. We went out for the day. We come back to our room, and it just feels different. And then we get into the bedroom, and there's like some black baby dolls on the bed. (laughs) And I'm like, I mean, I know they're not her black baby dolls, but I'm thinking... It'd be weird if the hotel staff had put those on there for us. Were they like displayed nicely? Yeah, yeah. They were all lined up. You know, someone had taken great care of these little baby dolls. And then I go to like put something away in the closet and there's just full of clothes. Someone has moved into our room while we were out. What? Like sightseeing. Huh. A family. Whoa. And they were, I guess, down by the pool or something. We called up and we're just like, hey, gang, uh, someone I think lives here now. It was weird. That's never That's happened so to us. so funny. How did they not notice our stuff? It was very weird. I'm going to go out on a limb. I've never even thought about this, but maybe they checked in and the bellhops brought all their shit up and like, oh, we'll get you situated. You guys go have lunch. I don't know how it all happened. But then but they undid their clothes and put all their toys on the bed? I don't know what That's happened, weird. but how could the other people, did they just think like, oh, wow, the previous guests left all their stuff behind. Oh, we'll tell yeah, housekeeping. Yeah. They'll get it out. Of- I don't know. Strange. There's some weird stuff that happens at hotels. Kristen and Dax and the family and I went to, to Turks, Turks and, and Caicos. Caicos. Also for a thing like that where yes. they had to like go like, you know. Eat some shrimp at exactly. some point. It was such a fun vacation, but we were pretty convinced that they were listening to us because we would say like, God, I just really wish we'd had peanut butter cookies. The most random thing that would just come out of my, the next day, peanut butter cookies are there. And our big hack was, what show were we consuming? Uh, Oh, Peaky Peaky Blinders. Blinders. So I got them to get us like a PlayStation so we could then get to Netflix so we could watch our favorite show. It was fucking awesome. But I said, we're only missing a single thing, popcorn. That's it. Next day, 
huge array of popcorn options. And we're like, hmm, they're listening, which is troublesome, (laughs) but we're getting everything we desire. I don't know. What do we do here? And we just kept saying shit we wanted and kept arriving. Okay. Now, in addition to your book, which is really, really fantastic, it's really sincere and it's an incredible story. Hello, Molly. Also, you have, don't say it, and I refuse to look at the piece of paper because I can do it. It is. I love this for you. Almost. Oh, they switch it to I love that for you. Okay. But I could see where you could say I love this because it was I love this for you. So you got it. Okay. I love that for you. You got it. I watched the first episode today. It's so fucking good. Who's behind it? Before we get to the amazing cast, but there must be incredible writers that I've seen other shows or something. Yes. Vanessa Bayer and Jeremy Byler wrote the script. It's their idea. It's loosely based on Vanessa's... Well, I don't know how she would word that, so we'll let her say that. It said that when it came to us. Okay, great. It's close to your childhood. It's Cleveland. Yes. It's a hospital. It's a kid. Uh Yes. I was getting tripped out because I had already read the book, and then I'm watching this show, and you and Bear are such similar performers, and that's a compliment to both of you. And I'm like, there's some very weird synergy happening with this whole project. But Showalter's involved? Yes, Mike Showalter. Okay, yes, that so makes a that lot team. of sense. Showalter, Jesse Klein, Jeremy Byler, Vanessa Bear. Great team. It's so good. It's so well done. It continues to be good. It's fantastic. I can't wait for you to watch it, Monica. I'm so excited. I saw it today that we got links, and I was reading about it, Aiden... Oh, yes. Aiden is so good. She's in the show. I love her so much. She did the Herbal Essence commercial with me. My first like, She's real one of the mermaids. She's one God. of the mermaids. Oh. And speaking of someone who I was like, it was a commercial for a hair product. And I was like, Aiden's really good. I was like, she's like a really good actress and has proven to be and is in all these awesome things. I think now she she's is so a mermaid. So I'm fully convinced. What character does she play? Wait, is she the one that's like, I'm married, I have kids, I'm obsessed with my kids. Yes. Obs- oh, she's fantastic. It's my time, like those kind of yes. mommy bloggers. She's like Vanessa's antagonist. Yes, yes. exactly. Vanessa's incredible. Yes, in she it. is. And she's such a nice person. Do you see a little of you in her? That's so funny. Somebody else said that. I think my husband said that. Fritz. Fritz might have said that we look alike or something. Or we look like we could be sisters. You guys both play nervous really, really well. Trying to stay above water really well. There was an anxiety, <laughs> but never pathetic. Like, it's easy to tip those characters because I've played a bunch of slower people, let's say. So for that reason, you could start feeling bad for yourself as the character. Yeah. But there's never any self-pity in them, which is why they're enjoyable to watch. There's some symmetry there. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Intuit, the technology platform that builds your financial confidence. There's some things that school doesn't really teach you, like how to handle the financial world. I mean, look, I did 16 years of school and I didn't have a single class on accruing debt or a hole that that puts you in. Yeah, they don't teach you that. No effort made whatsoever. If you want more financial knowledge, now is a great time to learn with Intuit for Education program. It has free, easy-to-use resources, like getting a car loan with Credit Karma simulations, understanding taxes with TurboTax lessons, and even learning to run a business with QuickBooks simulations. Check out Intuit's free resources today at Intuit.com education. Intuit, that's I-N-T-U-I-T dot slash education. We are supported by Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm. 
Ooh. Myrtle Beach, I have so much nostalgia. Me too. I did a spring break in Myrtle yes. Beach. Yes. Did you guys used to go there from Georgia? Yeah. It mm. was a very common beach destination. Ugh. Long sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline to enjoy. The beach truly is where your best self comes out. Combine that with the irresistible aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants, and you've got yourself the perfect vacation. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. That's visitmyrtlebeach.com. We are supported by Wayfair. Home should be your happy place, a space where you can relax and just enjoy yourself, whatever that looks like for you. Whether you want the ultimate man cave, a cozy Victorian-inspired nook for reading, an area for family movie night filled with all things retro, or something else. And if you need help creating that space, I recommend Wayfair. It's the place to shop for everything home, from sofas to dining tables, beds, rugs, wall art, and more. I bought a KitchenAid... Mixer? Mixer on Wayfair. You can really get anything on there. And I'm helping a friend redo his living room and we just you're just on way for nonstop. yep yeah it's one-stop shop it is they have fast free shipping they have everything you need for your home inside and out they have a huge selection of home goods and a variety of styles whatever you're into wayfair is the go-to destination to help bring your vision to life every style is welcome in the waberhood visit wayfair.com or get the wayfair mobile app that's W-A-Y-F-A-I-R.com. Wayfair. Every style, every home. Wait, do you ever do a thing where if you make a mistake, do you get in your head ever or anything like that? Like, oh. if you got something wrong, are you hard on yourself? Do you have to be perfect or are you easy on yourself if you make a mistake or say the wrong thing or get somebody's name wrong? Say you're at a party and you're like this. Are you hard on yourself? I want to ask both of you. Yeah, I think so. But not really when it's like names or something. What is it for you where you would be hard on yourself? Probably if I embarrassed myself somehow, I would not be able to get over that quickly or I wouldn't be able to brush it off. She walked into a window once and it was one of the best things ever. Like So embarrassing. I didn't <laughs> know, painful. but she walked away and then she started crying and she oh. cried in her car and I felt terrible, but I was like, if you have the wherewithal to recognize, like I just gave everyone this huge gift. Like, in fact, my daughter's about to be a flower girl this weekend, right? Aww. And she said, boy, I hope I don't trip. I'm a little nervous I'll trip. And I said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. If you trip, you'll be the only person that doesn't enjoy that. Everyone loves when someone trips. It's the most fun thing that could happen. It's like you're expecting one thing. All of a sudden someone tripped. Oh, my God, how are they going to handle this? Yeah. I'm like, so everyone would love it if you trip. Or you could tell her maybe you could try to trip. <laughs> no, I told her the story. When I graduated, I fake tripped and knocked over a floral arrangement and then rolled off the stage. And it was a big thing. And the parents sitting next to my parents were like, oh, his poor parents. But my parents knew I was going to trip. But if Monica could have seen like, in a movie, you pray you'd get it that well, where it's like you think that's a door and it's a window. 
But I want to leave and I want people to be like, she's cool. Of course. Yeah, but like, oh, I like her. She's cool. And then yeah. if you leave Elegant. and you walk into a window, <laughs> that's probably not the thing they're going to say about you. I once went to my therapist in L.A. She was so sweet and loving. I had this new outfit that was like kind of like a safari type of mm, dress yeah. shirt with pants underneath it. And I thought I looked so pretty and I wanted to impress her. But I remember like going in and I like tripped and the sari got <laughs> twisted. And then I think she like hugged me and she whispered in my ear, breathe. Oh. Just breathe. Uh, <laughs> that would make it way worse. <laughs> that would be worse for me. Isn't that funny? I get self-conscious. Names is a big one. I'm terrible at them. Yes, that's hard. And I feel really guilty. Yes. I'm good at remembering names of people who can help me, if I'm dead honest. I don't ever forget my director's name or the producer's name. Anyways, that's my own realization. That's so good. My husband, he had noticed in LA that people say when they meet someone, nice to see you. That's what I do. To cover themselves. That's right. But he said that in New York, people don't do that. I'll always say nice to see you. Just in case. Just in case. But does someone ever say, no, we've never met before? But that would be fine. Because you're just saying, I'm enjoying seeing you now. Exactly. (laughs) You're evaluating two outcomes. Yeah. One is you've already met them and you say, nice to meet you. And they're very hurt. The next one is nice to see you. Oh, we've never met. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. You look like someone I know. They're not going to walk away hurt. They're not going to be hurt that you think you've already met them. Mm-hmm. That's so true. You're just choosing between two bad options. I had one where I felt terrible. It's somebody I should know. I won't say who this is. It was somebody's partner came up to me, their wife, and I didn't recognize her. I hadn't seen her in like 13 years. <laughs> right. And I had a glazed over look as if she was like a fan or something because it was yeah. like an event where fans yeah. are coming up. And then she just right away, this was her entrance. She was like, you don't remember me. Oh. It was like a victim's entrance. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, this is so awkward. Now I have to like rescue her. But this is like the parents of teenagers think that's on her. Yes. And I think it's interesting because you learn a lot about boundaries and introducing yourself when you are well known Mm -hmm. because you have people coming at you a lot. Everyone greets you with a look of familiarity on their face because they've seen you. Their look says, I know you. So then I think, oh, well, I know this person. (laughs) So I have to start with, hey, what's going on? And then I'm trying to figure out, do I know them or not know them? Wait, so do you? you feel bad? You asked us. Yes, I definitely like to know names. I like to try. But lately, I think I've been like, oh, whatever. Like, parties are hard for everyone. So I think, don't worry about having to be so perfect. It's just, it's exhausting. And it's funny when mistakes happen. And it's okay. It's like, give me a break. I have to say to myself, what is a realistic expectation of me? Mm -hmm. Am I setting some goal for myself that I will not achieve and then will inevitably feel terrible about? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not going to remember 70 people all the time, right? Secondly, and this is the harder one, is people are going to think you're an asshole. That is the course of your life. Mm -hmm. You're going to be at the airport with your kids. Someone's going to ask for a picture. You're going to say, I don't do that in front of my kids. And they're going to be mad at you. And they're going to tell their friends that you're an asshole. And you've got to accept that. It kills me Mm -hmm. if I go the other way where I'm like, oh, fuck, now that person thinks I'm a dick. So you just let it go. And you want to be with your children and it's not the right time. And you just set that boundary. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, it's a big, big April for you because your book comes out on April 12th. Yes. 
And your show comes out on April 29th. Yes. Do you like when all the press overlaps so you can just get it all done at once? Or do you feel overwhelmed when it's like, oh my God, why is now everything I've been working on for two years now coming out? I don't mind. I like doing it all at once. Yeah, it feels like good timing. And then I'm doing the other two. We're doing season three. That's on HBO Max. I start shooting that in the fall. I exercise like you because uh-huh. I think you can get so busy that exercise grounds me. Everything else can be enjoyable to me if I start with exercise. Me too. Right? It's like you're greatest. working out and you're like, well, this other interview I'm going to, it can't be as bad as doing what I'm doing now. It's so true. It just calms my body down and I think it helps you sleep and it's great for everything. What kind of exercise do you do? I swim every day oh, and wow. I run. Oh my God. I, I will do one or the other. I would like to do more of what you're doing, like lifting weights. Well, I think also as a woman- It's so good. It is to keep muscle mass because yes. it keeps bone health. I like that you know that. Black Mole Paradise is right underneath it's us. Below us. That's what it's called, Dax. Is Jim. That's what it's called. There's black mold in it. (laughs) It started because The Rock has Iron Paradise. Beautiful gym. So I have black mold paradises here in the garage. I love that. It's also gotten a facelift because now it's Dan Gaines Beef Hoss. Oh my God. Black mold paradise. If you want to put some beef on (laughs) at the Beef Hoss, but you know what I like about it? When I'm in black mold paradise, it's Dan Gaines time. I'm an animal down there. I'm a different person. (laughs) Then I come up here and I care about you. But down there, I just care about my quads. That's all he cares about. Like There couldn't be a bigger difference in vibe from this room than six inches below us, right? And when he's down there and we're up here, you can hear it. Even today, I was like, he's still... She's going to be here. In like- I saw that guy come out of the gym. <laughs> I got he was like, hey, park over here. I was like, whoa, here we go. It's so pumped up down there. I was like, how's he going to transition so quick? I got a little anxious, but you did a great job. I do have a question. I do wonder, because I was just at my best friend's wedding, and all our childhood friends were there. It was so incredible. It was so lovely. And one of our friends was just like crying the whole time. Aww. And he was like, I just kind of can't believe we're all here and that we're all doing well and he was like I guess I just kind of thought one of us would be dead you know he really had some profound thoughts and he even said like I don't think I'm gonna make it past 60 and Dax says stuff like this all the time and our friend Eric says stuff like this and it makes me full of anxiety and I don't like it but then I wondered like having had that experience so young have you ever had a feeling of how long am I gonna make it here I used to feel that way more probably before I got into therapy and stuff that I would feel like nothing good can last long. So when I first started Saturday Night Live, I wouldn't hang stuff up in my office because I was like, there might be disaster around the corner or things might blow up the same way it did when I was little. Yeah. So that was very hard to work against. I don't feel that way now. I mean, anything could happen in life, but I don't live with that anymore. But when I was doing my stage shows, I used to be panicked and I would drive and it felt like a lot of pressure and I'd be driving to do the Robin Molly show and I'd have wigs in my backseat on my way to my show and like, oh, I hope everybody comes. And I would get so nervous and worry thinking, what if my tooth starts aching then I can't do the show? And what if I need an emergency root canal? Mm. So I would invite my dentist oh. in the audience, Dr. Karen Nakagawa, <laughs> just in case. She was like, wow. you want me to come to your show again? I was like, yes. <laughs> Because it made me feel secure knowing she was there in case we had to do a little dental repair. That's how bad it was. But I get that you're trying to like root in safety around you so Mm -hmm. that things can't blow up at any moment. Yeah. Definitely when I started SNL, I felt that way. I felt very scared. And I remember when I was first living with my husband, we were dating and we moved in together and 
we had a loft and we didn't have that much furniture. And I think a friend of his came and was like, oh, this is so nice, but there's not that much furniture. And he was like, Molly's not going to buy furniture. Like, it's too permanent. And that made me so sad. But now I'm completely different. Like, I've totally changed. Too much furniture, some people would say. Yeah, now I'm (laughs) not like that. I've worked hard to change all that. That's really weird because just yesterday in therapy, my therapist said, you live in a state of mind, which is like, the feds are closing in on the property at all time. They're about to knock through the door. And I said, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I said, what I hope is I can start living like publishers clearinghouse might knock at the door. Yeah. Because we don't know. So get dressed and look nice in case it's them. There's far more evidence as to that. It actually has already happened to you. Yes, yes, yes. Life is the publisher's clearinghouse. Have you read that book, The Body Keeps the Score? Oh, yeah. I have to read. I heard him on a podcast, but he sounded amazing. (laughs) Joe Rogan, yeah. (laughs) The thing that I really connected the dots on recently was a friend of mine sent me, Guy Stevenson from the Groundlings era, sent me this incredible YouTube video He's like, show this to your kids. And it's an illusion. And it's a window spinning. In real life, there's a piece of cardboard that they've made to look like a window. In real life, it's spinning 360 degrees. But your brain will not let you see that. It just makes the window oscillate back and forth. Because your brain understands what a window is. And it understands the physics of a window. And it will not let you see it. Even when he puts like paper clips on the thing so you can see it goes around in a circle. Yeah. And at the end, he says, and you'll never be able to see that this actually goes around in a circle. But if we show this to people in sub-Saharan Africa who have not imprinted what a square window looks like with lines in it, they can see it go around in a circle. And so for me, it gave me really great compassion for trauma folks because- Sure, I can explain the trick to you. Oh, it's an illusion and it goes in a circle. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can put this paper clip here. I can put a pencil through it. You'll see the pencil spin in a circle, but you will not see the window spin in a circle. And I thought to myself, give us all a break. We can't ever not see a window. Yeah. It, you can't unsee it. All the talking in the world about it is not going to prevent your brain from seeing what it knows. So there's a little more than understanding trauma and thinking you're not going to see it. That's so interesting. Like, it gave me some compassion. Yeah. And almost made me think the way we need to evolve and the way we treat this is like, forget the idea that you're ever going to see the world differently. It's like, just here's some tools that help you identify I'm seeing an illusion. But the notion that you're going to never not see that as a window might be a little preposterous. Yeah. Wow. Well, we really went on at a high note. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Hello, Molly. April 12th. And of course, I love that for you. 429 on Showtime. Molly, this has been so fun. So good to see you. Thank you, you you guys. Thanks so so much for having me. This is so fun. You're both so good at what you do and you make it really fun. And you're both so verbal and funny. And hot. You can say hot. hot. (laughs) We're both smoke shows. Yes. It doesn't hurt. (laughs) This is great. All right. Love you. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. We had a little period there where, which again, I, I love all versions of the show, yeah. but we had a period that was more like fun. Yeah. And then we've had some really heart to heart deep ones lately. And I've like, I've realized I've missed those. Same. Yeah. Molly being one of what? Um, There was, my hotel in New York had a weird toilet. Oh, German toilet. Yeah. But this is a ding, ding, ding for the future. For David Ferrier's new show, Flightless Bird. That's right. Available everywhere. Yeah. Soon. Very soon. Such a good show. But there is a episode on toilets. toilets. Yeah. And we learned about like different kinds of toilets in different countries. And the 
the toilet in New York that I was at was a German one because it had like a landing a pad. shelf. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we I found out culturally it. they think, which makes ton of sense. Yeah. That you should look at your stool because it's the, what do we say, to your um, health. It's, it's the, the, it's like when you look at eyes and you window. see someone's soul. A wind, yeah, eyes are the window to the soul. Yeah. Your poop is a window to your health. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's believed that you should, you know, take a look, make sure everything's Examine. honky-dory. Yeah. Culturally, wow. I know. It's incredible. I didn't like it. You didn't because it smells so much. Well, just too much exposure. Okay. Yeah. Vulnerable. Yeah, very. Yeah. I um, would like it. I mean, no. There's a time and a place for a German right. display toilet. If it's like in someone's apartment, I'm dead. There's no way I can poop that's there because it's going to smell so much I, worse. That's true. Like, I did not like it You're in my scenario. I was by yes, myself. Yes, it's ideal. But yeah, if I walked into someone's house and they had that. Yeah, poop on a shelf. Well, I would, I'm going to have that on my house. So everyone's mm. poops exposed. Mm hmm. You should have like you, of your different bathrooms in your home. You should have one that's the observation bathroom. Yeah. And you can tell guests, you know, use any toilet you want. If you want to observe yep. and share <laughs> a bit of the smell with all of us, uh, <laughs> use that bathroom. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of gross stuff. Yeah, we love gross stuff. By the way, this really nice woman. I brought her up on the last fact check. Barbara, <laughs> the purser. Yep. I don't know where she goes. I just and she's an older woman. I mean, I don't want to make her self conscious, but she was. I, I'm guessing in her late fifties. Mm -hmm. Said, um, "I just oh, my, my favorite story is the Home Depot story." Oh, and good. I was like, "I love it." That's not what I would have guessed. That's right. Mixed Don't messages. Judge a book by their cover. Oh. Mona Lisa. Okay, so okay. this is in that vein. Okay, great. So, because we were talking about oh, masturbation, the masturbation. I loved it, and I loved <sighs> the honesty. Of course, like, oh yeah. So then, of course, we talk about my uh, perversion. Thank you. I haven't had that in a while. Like I haven't and explored I, it. I had a dream the <gasps> other night about puking. Yeah, I can't get into the details. Okay, someone was puking. Yeah, and it was a sexual experience, and then there was puking. Oh my god! And I have like not thought about that in in a long. I mean, obviously, I think about it intellectually now, but I haven't like experienced it. Yeah, and yeah. So really quick, in the dream, it was already sexual dream, and the person started puking? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. During coitus? Yeah, towards the end. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And you loved it. Yeah, I oh, loved wow. it. Do you think you reached uh, climax in your sleep? Yes. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do think that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This is just a great update. And it really came out of nowhere. That can be the best kind. Yeah. Unexpected. Novelty. These are well-worn paths. Satisfizers. Yeah. Maximizers. Yes. But people, especially they say women, are uh, most... Intrigued? Hornied up. Intrigued. There you go. Uh, by novelty. Especially women? Yeah, like um, Esther Perel will say, oh. men will often cheat for X reason. Yeah. They want variety. No, that's yeah, not see, that's why They I just want, they want sex. Men, men oh. all cheat because they want sex itself. Yeah. And women will cheat because they want novelty. Interesting. Yeah. These are general, just but general statements. I feel statements. like men want novelty, just sexual novelty. Like they have partners, so they have sex. In case, well, many men aren't having much sex with their partner. Oh, uh, well, that's true. Right. Those people want sex. Sex. Right? It's like the great Charlie quote. Any of them. <laughs> right? All of them. Any All of them. them. Any of them. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs>
Whereas if you ask a woman, no, no woman would answer that question, any of them. No, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> well, some woman would. Yeah, exactly. Most women would. We're not painting. We're but not. we can we can talk in, you know, These you are know, generalizations. 65%. Yeah. These are generalizations. Yeah. What else would we talk about? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was exciting. You know, women generally pee sitting down. You know? Of course, someone pees standing up. That's right. Okay. Congratulations, woman who pees standing up. Uh, honestly, congratulations, because yeah. that would be nice. My children sometimes do that because they're you still. You mean hover? No, stand. Fucking stand. How can they do that? They try to point their urethra. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they want to pee like a boy. Wow. Yeah. But in the shower, they can. Of course. But they shouldn't try over the toilet. It's going to be messy. Yeah. Just I mean, gonna... I don't want to, you know, speak to whether they're good or bad at it. I don't know. I just, I've, I've come in and seen some vert vertical. No, I've seen it in progress. Okay. Yeah. Walk into a bathroom okay. and what, there's a daughter peeing standing up. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like of course why not try I've done every weird thing why not you know? try for sure my body wouldn't be able to you do it do that. no because no. you have to you'd have to spread your legs mm, sure I guess yeah well, to you even you'd get... have to pull your you'd have to pull your vulva up and part it and then you try to get an angle on your urethra so it was mm. shooting odds are it's gonna shoot straight out it's not gonna, it's unruly it's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is very unruly <laughs> Men can't even do it with an actual hose, tool. Hose, yes, a yeah, hose. Yeah. So if women can do it, I am impressed. I will just yeah, say. Yeah, it's great. That's great. Okay. The, she told us about a doc. I haven't watched it yet, and I wondered if you had watched it. Procession. I haven't. It was about kids who were molested by priests. Priests, And then yes. they, like, kind of reenacted and stuff. Oh, right, right, we right, have right. To right. Watch yeah, that. I do want to watch that. I also want to watch the one about the skateboarders who had all been molested that someone told us about recently. Also... Under the Banner of Heaven is out. I know. Did you start it? Mm -hmm. Is it good? I like it so far. There's only been two episodes. Okay, yeah. I was so up on Hulu. It's on Hulu, right? Uh -huh. I saw that and I was like, yes. And then next to it was a doc about a boy who went missing when he was seven. And then he wandered back home at 14. In oh 1972, this happened. And so I started that instead. It's so interesting. I was really trying to figure this out because it was very popular in the media. And then when he came back, he was on every single show. What everyone's just ignoring, right? Like even when they explain like what the parents thought, he was one of five. The parents are saying like, I just knew someone took him because they wanted a, a son. You know, like they wanted a boy. They, mm -hmm. they never thought that he had been killed, right? Mm -hmm. For whatever reason. And she thought, well, just someone wanted a child. But I was like, let me tell you something. No man wants a fucking child. That's yeah. not his. Every man who would do that is a fucking pervert yeah. pedophile. But what was weird to me, and I was wondering, is like, is it a sign of the times or what happened even t today? Like, as soon as he got home, everyone's like, where were you at? How long was it? Did he tell you you weren't? Like, yeah. No one's acknowledging, oh, this kid's been fucking raped for seven years straight. They aren't probably, acknowledging No. It? We oh. probably shouldn't have him on the Today Show to say, like, they tell you your parents didn't like you. Like, I don't know if it was naivete or, or like society was just we better at ignoring about everything. It as much, yeah. And then they made a fucking made for TV movie, two part movie that was popular. Ooh. And I didn't see the movie. Maybe it goes into it, but I think maybe there's some hints at it. But it's like, no, if you're going to make a movie about this, the whole fucking thing is about this kid getting raped for seven oh years. That's God. what the movie Did is. It's completely heartbreaking. I was thinking the whole time, like, my molesting experience was pretty fucking contained. It was only a few episodes and this and that and just the notion of living what i experienced in a few times for seven years yeah 
I just don't know how a person survives. Yeah. Mm, mm. It's so sad. Oh, oh it's God. heartbreaking. It's easy to hate men, I'll tell you. That's a boy that grows up into a man, too. Like, yeah, and it's 0.1% or whatever, yeah. but but man, the, the capacity to do something like that is just so beyond me. I know. Okay, well, I just took it real far down. But anyways, that's why I didn't start Under the Banner, which I very much want to start, because one of my favorite books of all time. Well, it's actually a ding, ding, ding. Oh, it is. Yeah. Because uh, I, I looked up trauma and memory. Oh, Okay. Because I was just curious because she could remember that event, you know, the oh, car right. accident. Yeah. And she was four. Well, what's funny is it's right out of the gates, I'll say, it seems to go both ways. Like right. some people, the reaction is amnesia and it gets rediscovered, right? It's like too intense yeah, to ever think about again. Yep. And conversely, people can have insanely detailed, like when we interviewed T.I. Yeah. And you remembered all those details of that apartment. Yeah. And it's like, bud, that's the only day of your four-year-old life you have those details. That should be a clue. Yeah, this is specifically to childhood trauma. Your brain may choose to repress details of the memories or the emotions associated with them as a coping mechanism. Duh. Yeah. But it would make total sense survival-wise if we think of trauma as like what you would have normal experience when you were chased by a lion or when you saw three members of your group get hit with fucking bow and arrow out of nowhere. Your brain would be well-functioning to imprint as many of the surrounding clues as possible so you're never in that situation again. Exactly. Okay, so there's a chart. Okay. It's visual, but I'll try to talk it out. How trauma impacts four different types of memory. This is from a dot org. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, you used to love that. I did. I did used to love that. Okay, explicit memory and then implicit memory. Now, within explicit memory, there's semantic memory and episodic memory. We're learning a lot. Yeah, I don't know the difference between those two. Okay, semantic memory. Yellow. I'm going to oh, give okay. him say yellow. Semantic memory is the memory of general knowledge and facts. Okay. For example, you remember what a bicycle is. Yeah. How trauma can affect it. Trauma can prevent information like words, images, sounds, etc., from different parts of the brain from combining to make a semantic memory. Mm. And these are the brain areas. The temporal lobe and inferior parietal cortex collect information from different brain areas to create semantic memory in general. Episodic memory. The autobiographical memory of an event or experience, including the who, what, and where. Ooh. Example, you remember who was there and what street you were on when you fell off your bicycle in front of a crowd. Ah. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. How trauma can affect it. Trauma can shut down episodic memory and fragment the sequence of events. Ooh. Uh, The hippocampus is responsible for creating and recalling episodic memory. Okay. Okay. Now, that was all under explicit. Oh, wow. Now we're in implicit, blue, emotional memory. Mm. The memory of the emotions you felt during an experience. Mm. Example, when a wave of shame or anxiety grabs you the next time you see your bicycle after the big fall. The bicycle becomes a cue for those implicit memories. How trauma can affect it. After trauma, a person may get triggered and experience painful emotions, often without context. Uh, the amygdala plays a key role in supporting memory for emotionally charged experiences. Okay, last one. Green. This is also under implicit. Procedural memory. The memory of how to perform a common task without actively thinking. Mm-hmm. Example. Driving get, a car. 
you well, we're going to keep it in the bicycle family. Oh, all right. You can ride a bicycle automatically without having to stop and recall how it's done. I obviously don't have a good procedural memory. Well, you did ride that bike right into a bush, but you... Maybe I have trauma repressed. From a bicycle accident. Trauma comma repressed. <laughs> How trauma can affect it. Trauma can change patterns of procedural memory. For example, a person might tense up and unconsciously alter their posture, which could lead to pain or even numbness. Related brain areas, the striatum, striatum hmm. is associated with producing procedural memory and creating new habits. So that was cool. That was cool. Cool. <laughs> Master class in memory. Yeah. She talked about Anne's cross eye. Oh, right. Yeah. And... I was somewhere recently and someone had a, a crossed eye. Okay. And I d didn't notice. Right. I don't notice it. Yeah. You and my, again, legendary best friend of my life, Nate Tuck. Yeah. There's a similarity between you two. He doesn't notice He lived either. with a guy that <laughs> oh, had yeah. Tourette's. Right. And he had no clue. And then I met this guy and I was hip to it in one second. And then... I asked him about it later, mm -hmm. and he didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah. And then at some point, his roommate explained to him he had it, and then he came to me, he's like, you were right. And I was like, I don't know how. I know. And that's a great quality, I'd say. Yeah, I don't well, know. You and I have had this a ton of times. We'd watch interview shows. Yeah. We were watching one interview show, and I couldn't not be aware of the fact that the person had a tongue that mm -hmm. was like three times the size of a normal tongue. Yeah. And you didn't see it. Still don't see but it. But then I paused it, and I think you did acknowledge it. I mean, I was and like, And you were I a little guess. mad at me. You thought I was, like, making fun of him. Well, I think I thought, like, I mean, I'm sure it's out of my own insecurity. I'm like, if he's noticing that. Okay, that makes he's sense. He's noticing everything wrong with me. Well, let me tell you something, for the record. I'm noticing everything. You know that about me. Yeah. I don't miss a thing. That's uncomfortable because it's like, okay, so I But guess... I've noticed everything and I adore you, so what's the problem? Well, I just, I don't know. You should feel safer around me than other people because I'm not ever going to discover something about you. I, I clocked it all in the first five minutes we met. You know, like some people like... They'll date someone after like six months of dating. They're like, oh, my God, I didn't realize he had a list. It's starting to get on my nerves. You hear this stuff all the time. Right. Oh, I didn't realize he always scratched his ear or whatever. You know, people, This yeah. you hear this stuff. There would be no surprise for me. Like, I meet someone, I'm like, the Terminator, like, zzz, scanning, zzz, zzz, zzz. And we just had a guest on, and he sat down, remember? And I saw him scanning this room in a way that was so specific. I knew it so well. Mm. And guaranteed, he got everything about you, about Rob and me. He got it all. I understand what you're saying. I'm just telling you from this side of it, that does not feel safe to me. That doesn't feel good to think that someone is hyper aware of all my flaws. It's not flaws. It's just you and your totality. Just like I observe your short. Everyone's going to observe your short, right? Someone did recently just really observe it. Oh, they did? I mean, in a nice way, but... Oh. Oh, someone that met you. Yeah, she yeah, was like, yeah. oh my God, you are so small in person. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. I think that's one of your best qualities, to be honest. That's fine. You can notice that. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, for you, there's there's some distinction between you would notice that the guests we were talking about, like if I asked you right now what color their skin was, you remember. We both remember. Yeah. Like, you get that. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything about you. Just you no, saw it. No, but the tongue thing was not that. Yes, it is. You just see it. Like, I see that the skin is this color. I see that the height is this. I see that the tongue is 3X. I see <laughs> that the eye like, is blue. But you like, oh, my God. Like, you had to comment on it. In the same way that if the person had been six foot four, I would comment on it. Right. I guess, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's. I'm not 
But you were like, he can't for, keep it in his mouth. Well, hold on. You did say that. He was having a hard time. What you think it was me making fun of him was me actually being really compassionate to him. Because <laughs> I was recognizing he has an enormous tongue and he has to work at it. Keeping it in his mouth. Yes, it was literally out of compassion. I was like, I, this is a this is this dude's cross to bear. Yeah. I didn't think you were making fun. Like, that's not the right phrase. I didn't think you were making fun of him, but I did think you were being hypercritical of him. That was sort of, I, I guess. And I think I was being hyper observant. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but the cross-eyed. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe I'm just not looking at people's eyes. That could that's be a bad, too. and that's bad. Let's back up. You have terrible sight. I do. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge part of this. It is. Like more probably than you know. Like when yeah. you're looking at the person in the eyes talking, you're probably seeing a little bit of blurriness. <laughs> probably. Right. So you need the that acuteness yeah. to diagnose these Maybe. things. Maybe. I would just want you to leave this conversation knowing <laughs> my intentions, which are like, I'm not trying to look for things that are bad about people to feel better about myself. I know. Like again, that's what I'm saying. It's not to be mean. <gasps> those are great socks. Thank you. I thought you might like them because you like cool socks. Yeah, and those are really cool. They They're look like blue grandpa's. with stripes, but it's blurry, which I like. You wouldn't know that. These are actually blurry. <laughs> um, you've probably come to think that anything blurry is this actually- This is just normal. Right, and then I love the brown with the blue and white, and then the off-white on the heel are green. Thank oh my you. God, those are great. Yeah. Thank you. I don't think you are doing it to make yourself feel good about yourself or to like put people down. I think it's just the way your brain works, mm -hmm. just like it's just the way my brain works that I don't notice. Right, yeah. It's just that it's, that's it's just what are. it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't make an effort. No, yeah, I know It's that. just all happening to me. Yes, I yeah. know. Okay, who is the longest running SNL female cast member? I think Rachel Dratch was the probably the record holder. Let's see, 10 longest running SNL cast members. Okay. That'll help us. Yeah, it will. Okay, Kevin Neal in nine years. Tim Meadows, nine years. Cecily Strong, nine years. Okay. A.D. Bryant, nine years. Kate McKinnon, nine years. Al Franken, 11 years. Ooh. Fred Armisen, 11 years. Seth Meyers, 13. <gasps> wow. Daryl Hammond, 14. Keenan, 18. Yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, that's the top 10. Okay, so there's a, a few females who are at nine. I just got to find out really quick how long sh Rachel Dratch was on, because now it's just driving oh, yeah, me nuts. Yeah. Well, only seven years. 99 to 2006. Okay. Keenan, 18 years. Good for him. Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's all. I loved Molly. I, I would like to say that. That was incredible. I really liked her. She also had such a good energy. Really kind. Yeah. Very Sweet playful. Person. Very playful. Yeah. I love the masturbation thing. That's the first time we ever had that. That's great. Yes. And she remember she kept calling herself fat? Yes. Like so in her, peculiar. In her fantasy. Like, yeah, she'd get yelled at. Fat pig. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> it, we I mean, are, weird in we a good way. We are also weird. Yes. That's, we're just. Ding, ding, ding from the Thursday episode. We're weird people. That's Western right. something. Western educated. Industrialized. industrialized. What's R? Because democratic. Rich. Rich democratic. democratic. <laughs> That's what you should say after that list. Western, educated, industrial, rich, democratic, in the 
Oh, last thing I want to say. I didn't update you on this yet. Oh. I saw a movie while I was in England. What'd you see? The unbearable weight of massive talent. Whatever, the Nicolas Cage movie. <gasps> you did? It's awesome. Is it? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I love him even more. And he had me screaming with laughter. Oh, my there God. Is so, there's the finest line between he and Jim Carrey and Will Ferrell. He's a dramatic actor, but his level of commitment and yes. for a whole career. Totally. Is literally unparalleled. Yeah. Because he, like, he's making the most insane choices, and they're real. Yeah. He never true. doesn't land these choices. There's one point, I, I doubt I can do it, but he's like, he talks to himself in the movie, his younger version of himself keeps popping up and, uh -huh. like, challenging him to be what he's supposed to be. Uh -huh. And he's like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And his younger self is like, you're Nick motherfucker! Wow. But it's about 10 times that. <laughs> and it goes on for a minute and it's incredible. Oh my goodness. He's gracious. such an artist. Oh my God. Uh, I love you. Love you.